Hey, my name's Ian Begley. You're watching the NBA Exchange with Dexter Henry. Hey everybody and welcome to today's edition of the NBA Exchange, the Wednesday edition of the NBA Exchange. So glad for you guys to join us here on this beautiful Wednesday and it was a great Tuesday, a fantastic Tuesday night of NBA action. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We're going to get to that in a second. Also some news surrounding LeBron James that should interest a lot of people and how the Lakers might be in trouble. We really have a great show for you coming up today. Coming up a little bit later, I have Stefan Bondi, my man from the New York Daily News, Knicks beat writer, covers the Knicks so well. We're going to talk about the Knicks. They played the Brooklyn Nets last night in one of the great matchups that we saw on TNT. They've also had some changes to their starting lineup recently, and we will talk about all of that. It's Wednesday, so y'all know what time it is. That means my man Gerard Hector is here for some NBA with nuance. We got a lot to get into now. We're going to talk about... That Suns-Warriors matchup, highly anticipated last night. And as I said, part of one of the fantastic games that we saw last night as well. We're going to talk about that. Also, Gerard has a pretty interesting take surrounding the Brooklyn Nets and why he doesn't think that they are contenders right now. He said this on his podcast, 7 for this podcast, just the other day. And I'm going to talk to him about that. We're also going to talk about the window of NBA championship windows, how that works when it closes for teams, is it that long for teams right now and how injuries impact all that? So we got a lot of great stuff to get into. Oh, and of course, we can't forget that we're definitely going to touch on some NBA picks. You know we're definitely going to touch on that tonight for sure. So we'll be on the NBA picks with all that we have to go to. But before those wonderful games happened that we saw last night, Tuesday night, that was on TNT, and they had a fantastic doubleheader, some news came out that was quite interesting and I don't want to say send shockwaves through the league because it's not that, but it surrounds the face of the league. That's LeBron James. LeBron James in health and safety protocols. It has been reported that he has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, asked after the game was Lakers head coach Frank Vogel about this in terms of how LeBron was feeling. Vogel did not comment, but Anthony Davis was a lot more forthcoming in that regard. And he did say that LeBron was asymptomatic, which is good. So LeBron, obviously, in the health and safety protocols, will have to be out for at least 10 days. He came back just recently. He came back from an injury. He had suffered early season. We know about the suspension after the dust-up with Isaiah Stewart. And, you know, we also know just about where the Lakers are right now, right? Like, the Lakers are in a tough spot. Uh, they're 7-4 and four in games with LeBron. They have it played well, particularly without LeBron. They've still yet to see newcomers like Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn. Those guys still haven't played. The roster hasn't looked that great. There's been a lot of talk about the Lakers' age. And, you know, the thing with LeBron, you're always concerned about injuries as players get older. Obviously, now in the world that we live in, COVID is now another factor that can keep guys out. And you wonder, as the Lakers right now, are around, you know, we just passed the quarter mark. I talked about this with Brian Fonseca, my podcast co-host on the A Heart Sell podcast the other day. Jamal Murphy joined us for this. We're at this quarter mark of the season. And it's what can we take about it? And a lot of talk has been around the Lakers. 12-11 and 11 record. Extremely disappointed. This was a team where the over-under was 52 and a half wins. Many people projected them to be somewhere around that. They've not gotten off to a good start. Anthony Davis. Hasn't looked great at all whatsoever. He, when asked to be the number one guy, we haven't seen that. And that's really been concerning. Russell Westbrook, how he fits in with this team. He is supposed to be the guy when LeBron is out. This is the guy you can give the ball, give the keys to the offense, can make things run. When LeBron's sitting on the bench or if he can't play, it takes the load off the ball. Somebody else, you can put the ball in their hands and make some plays. Westbrook hasn't looked like he's fit into the offense at all whatsoever. So now with LeBron out again, right? And I said, they're over 500, 7-4 record in the 11 games that he's played. But with LeBron out again, it's just more stress on this Lakers offense. Taylor Horton Tucker, 
played last night and filled in for the Lakers against the Kings. He didn't really do much. He played well when he first came back uh, to the Lakers this season, but hasn't really done much there. The Lakers really struggle with shooting. They've also struggled defensively, which is not what you expect from a Frank Vogel coached team at all whatsoever. So this is huge for the Lakers right now. Like, seriously, guys, this is huge. And the fact that LeBron's out there, we hope. That's the only thing. We can hope that it's just 10 games. The thing with Kova, we don't know how it impacts people. Right now, he's asymptomatic. That sounds like it's a good sign, but we have no idea how these things affect everybody. We just recently saw Joel Embiid. I believe he was out for three weeks. So the Lakers right now, where they just haven't had the continuity, right? We haven't got to see their big three really play together. They haven't got that time, and they need those reps. And LeBron has been pretty confident in what he's talked about, the fact that he thinks the team can get there and get those reps. But there's a lot of trepidation around this team. And if there's more injuries or, dare we say, longer-term impacts from COVID, whether it's LeBron or somebody else, these are things that are concerning absolutely for the Lakers. And the less time they have with LeBron on the court just doesn't bode well for them. We haven't seen somebody take over the reins and say they could lead this team and be definitively the number one option if LeBron isn't there. So, look, wish LeBron the best. We wish him a speedy recovery, and he hoped that he gets better, and the Lakers need him on the court. So for this to come at this time, you know, it was a huge blow to them. But obviously we wish him the best and hope that he can get back on the court. He can get back to the court soon, and the Lakers can, you know, hopefully gel and put together some kind of chemistry because although we're a quarter way through the season, one of the things I always like to say, it can get late early and you never know how things are going to turn out into the season. So getting that chemistry, building that chemistry, especially at this point where we're getting between the 20 and 40 game mark to be approached the halfway point of the season, it's important for teams to start trying to build that chemistry. So we'll see what is up with that. But look, last night, Tuesday night, Great games on TNT. I think everybody was hyped. Warriors versus Suns. Teams with the two best records in the league. I'm going to talk about this more in depth with my man Gerard Hector when he joins us at about 11.30 here on the show. But this was a fantastic doubleheader for TNT. Now, the main event was that. Everybody wanted to see Suns and Warriors. I was locked into that. But the game before that, which we'll also talk about with my upcoming guest, Stefan Bondi, were the Knicks and Nets battle for New York. At the Barclays Center, you know, there was a lot of talk on Twitter how the Barclays Center sounded. Uh, I didn't was not in the building last night, but it did sound like a lot of Knicks fans are in there. I've been in the building before for many Knicks-Nets games matchups, and, you know, it's usually majority Knicks fans, but the Nets fans were representing well, too, and it was a fantastic game, 112-110 to 110 victory for the Nets over the Knicks. It was a game that was back and forth, really good multiple lead changes, including in the fourth quarter uh, and what it came down to. So that was enjoyable to watch. Kevin Durant was great down the stretch. James Harden, who we'll talk about later with Gerard Hector as well, was fantastic in the first half, 28 first half points. So it was just a fantastic game. The Knicks looked good uh, with their new addition to the starting lineup. Alec Burks in there, Kemba Walker out. We will get to that with Stefan Bondi as well, too. So it was a lot of good things there. Fantastic game, close game. Same could be said for the nightcap. I mean, they both were at night, but the later game, the West Coast game. Suns Warriors, big showdown. Everybody wanted to see that. And one thing I'll touch on, and Gerard and I will talk about this, my biggest thing that I enjoyed in this game, my biggest takeaway from this game for me was the Suns defense. And you have to start wondering if, we were very impressed by how the Warriors' offense looked. Steph Curry struggled in this game. We'll get to that as well, too. But the Suns' defense looked really damn good, okay? And I'm wondering if they may have given the lead the blueprint on how to defend the Warriors. And that's not blueprints are not always easy to do. you got to have the personnel to get that done. So it's one thing to see somebody do it. It's another thing to have the personnel to get it done. But the Suns come up with the victory. They win their 17th straight game. Over a good Warriors team, it was an exciting game. It was close till the Suns pulled away in about the final three minutes. As I said, very stout defense. If you're a Suns fan, you got to be ecstatic. I think you got to start thinking about the Suns because there's a lot of doubt out there. We even talked about this recently on the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Do you believe in the Suns? I still think there's people that have the thought that, 
oh man, they just got it. They got to the finals last year because things broke their way. Injuries to the Lakers, injuries to the Clippers, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe it's time we start looking at this team as a legitimate team. Maybe it's time we start respecting what they've done, what we saw on Tuesday night. And look, the streaks is 17 right now. And they get to play the Warriors again on Friday. And it'll be interesting because the Suns will be on a back-to-back. I believe they played Detroit the night before. So how long can they keep this thing going? Can they get this thing to 19 or 20? It's, it's been very impressive how they play. And what also should be noted, too, is they did a lot of this without Devin Booker, who injured his hamstring in the first half and did not return. And we'll see what the status is of him going forward. But they were able to do this offensively without Book, get it done. Defense got it done down the stretch. I was thoroughly impressed by what I saw from the Phoenix Suns in this game. And we'll break into that more and delving into a more NBA with nuance and, you know, let us know if, if you're, if you're watching, listening, commenting, let us know. What do you think? Are the Suns for real? Are you concerned by what you saw with the Warriors and the struggle shooting last night, particularly Steph Curry? But I, I expect the Warriors to bounce back here. I, I'd be stunned if they don't bounce back here uh, on Friday when they play again. Remember these teams also play again on Christmas, which should be interesting. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, my man Stefan Bondi from the New York Daily News, Knicks beat writer, will be with us to talk a little bit about the Knicks, where they are this season, how things have gone thus far, the changes to the starting lineup, all that. We're going to talk about that when we come back on the NBA Exchange. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. The Sports Walk is back. Watch season four of Backpack Broadcasting's original award-winning web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans in these streets, literally in these streets. The first three seasons and current season with new episodes every Monday are available now on the Backpack Broadcasting YouTube channel. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy, y'all. Just take the sports walk. All right, guys, welcome back to the NBA Exchange. I am your host, Dexter Henry. And joining me now, a good friend of mine in the media, worked for a lot of years, been around with basketball, covering the Knicks and a bunch of different stuff. My man, Stefan Bondi. Steph, what's up, man? How you doing? Good, Dexter. How's everything going? I'm good, man. I can't I can't complain. Really good, really good to see you. Really good to uh, talk to you. I'm glad you are well and you are fine. We're going to talk about the Knicks. Um, and Last night, Barclays Center, interesting game, 112 to 110. Nets get the victory. Uh, Knicks show a lot of effort. They played well in Atlanta on Saturday night. What do you think about – we're going to get into the starting lineup changes with uh, Kemba Walker, but what do you think about what you saw from the Knicks last night? Is there any more victory to be taken out of this 112 to 110 loss to the Nets? Um, I, I don't think, I don't believe in moral victory. So no, but, um, I did think, I do think they played well and I, th- and it, we're going to get into the starting lineup later. I thought that that worked well, 
Um, you know, and I expected it to work well, and it did. Obviously, the big storyline coming out of that game was the officiating and the Knicks' complaints about it. And, you know, they did take about half as many free throws as the Nets, and Julius Randle was real upset after the game. He felt as if he um, didn't get the respect he de- deserved from the officiating. And, um, you know, he, he, said, he said he approached them about it, and the officials said, hey, you're just stronger than the defenders and their contact isn't affecting you. And that's why we're not calling those. We're not making those calls. Now, if, if that was really said to Julius Randle, that's a problem. Um, that shouldn't be the case. They shouldn't be officiating based on how big somebody is. I mean, a foul is a foul. So if that was really said to Julius Randle, um, I could understand why he was so upset. Yeah, I can too. And I mean, I thought there were some questionable calls and the free throw uh, discrepancy and disparity between them was really inter- interesting there. And if the official said that, yeah, absolutely, there is a problem. However, one of the big storylines surrounding last night, Stefan, was obviously Alec Burks in the starting lineup. On Monday, Tom Thibodeau announced that he was going to replace uh, Kemba Walker in the starting lineup and go with Alec Burks. Were you as shocked by that move? as some people were, or should it have been expected considering how bad the numbers looked with Kemba Walker in the starting lineup on both the offensive and defensive end? I was still shocked that he did it when he did it. I thought that, you know, Tom, not only does Tom Thibodeau have a history of being reluctant to make a move like that. I mean, you could go back to last season when Alfred Payton was really struggling. He started him until until Alfred Payton just had no confidence left. Um, he w- And he had been reluctant to make such moves when he was in Chicago as well. So the history suggested that he wouldn't make a move this early, but he did. Um, and the other shocking part of it is this, this is Kemba Walker, right? I mean, he had this big press conference when he came in. Um, it was the big homecoming. They, they had to, they, you know, they basically touted him as the savior at point guard. And for him to be, removed from the starting lineup 20 games into the season, it was a little bit of a shock. And um, not only the starting lineup, but he's out of the rotation. So, yeah, I was surprised at the same time when you look at the stats, it makes a lot of sense. Do you think that the insertion of Burks, and we saw him play well last night, 25 points, five assists, do you think that helps the Knicks? Do you think this is a good move for them going forward? He's not a natural point guard but he has some playmaking ability. Do you think it's good for the team going forward? Yeah, I, I, I like the move. I think he's an upgrade over Kemba simply because Kemba at this point, it's sad to say because, you know, I like Kemba. I think he's a really good guy. And he's, you know, the homegrown storyline was really awesome when it happened. But, I mean, he's just not the same player. And he doesn't have the explosiveness because of the knee and he can't defend. And with Tom Thibodeau, um, it's the defense is non-negotiable. Um, so if, if you're if you're going to be a, a negative defensively on the floor, you're not going to play. I am concerned about I, I, the Knicks do not have a natural point guard other than really Derrick Rose. And Derrick Rose is still going to come off the bench and play, you know, 25 minutes per game. Um, so they really don't have a point guard um, and they're using Julius Randle a lot to set up the offense and to bring up the ball. And I understand, you know, that might work in the short term, but. In the long term, the Knicks not having a long, uh, a steady point guard. This has been a problem for decades now with this franchise, and they haven't solved that problem. And I think when you go back and you look at the Knicks having $50 million in cap space in the offseason and not being able to solve that problem, not being able to really upgrade the roster like they should, that's on the front office. Um, you know, I know they, the, they took the gamble on Kemba Walker. It didn't work out. That's on the front office. Um, so – I still think they have to search for that point guard um, because Alec Burks is a nice piece. But like you said, he's not a point guard and they still right. need to solve that problem. Right. He, he's not there. And then there was some talk and some rumors, Stefan, as I'm sure you saw and heard on Nick's Twitter that, you know, maybe they, they could trade Kemba Walker, John Wall possibilities. Yeah, I see you shaking. I see you shaking your head about that. I guess there's two questions for me there. One, the wall thing. I think you're shaking your head on that. That's a no. They should not do that. But do you think, is there a market for Kemba Walker right now as much as we like him, you know, or is his career done as we know it? Um, yeah, it's done as we know it or we did or we knew it. Um, there might be a market out there for, you know, a player that's going to play limited minutes. I don't know what role 
you know, I'd like to talk to Kemba Walker, and he might talk today at practice. Where I'm heading down to practice after we do this show. I'd like to talk to him to see where his head's at and what kind of role he's willing to accept moving forward, whether he still views himself as a starter in this league or whether he's gonna he, he accepts his position as, hey, I'm a guy who can come in and be a 10-minute, you know, spark off the bench and give you guys a scoring punch. Um, so, I, you know, I think he can be that in the NBA. I think his days of being a starter playing 30 minutes per game are over, and I don't think there's much of a trade market for him. Well, you brought up the John Wall thing. There's a lot of reasons why that doesn't make any sense. And the biggest one is it's just doesn't it's not feasible. I mean, he's making forty over forty million dollars. Forty two um, and a half million, yep. Yeah. So you have to match salaries, first of all. And Kemba's only making nine million dollars a year. So how are you gonna make up the difference and try to trade for John Wall? You're not gonna trade for a John Wall and give up pieces like Julius Randle and pieces that are helping you now. It just doesn't make any sense at all, and there's no way it's gonna happen. I agree. I agree. It makes no sense at all. No, it's going to happen. You just brought up Randall. Um, he's got a lot of the brunt from Knicks fans this season about their start 11 and 10 right now. He obviously hasn't played to the level that he did last year. But something we saw last night was that he's attacking the rim and he was able to make some plays. Do you think with Burks in the starting lineup that this is feasible? We will see more of this Julius Randall. Maybe not what we saw last year, Stefan, but a little bit more attacking the rim and sort of that playmaker mode. Yeah, I, I think so. And I'd like to see more of that. Now, I, I, I was always concerned after last season that it was such an anomaly um, how great he played because that is not who he was throughout his career. And a lot of it had to do with him nailing the three-point shot at a clip that he had never done so before in his career last season. And that – and you – you worried that it was going to regress back to what he's been throughout his career, and it has. That's what the three-pointer I'm talking about. And without that, he's a different kind of player, and he does need to be aggressive and attack the rim. Um, and we saw that last night. Now you hope that he's getting the phone, he's getting the uh, foul calls that he's, uh, you know, he's saying he's getting hit. You know, we I, I, we weren't close enough to actually see what the contact was like, but he's saying he's getting hit and he's not getting the calls. If he's going to be aggressive, it's going to be key for him to get to the line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is who Julius Randle is. It's, is who, it's who he was throughout his career. And um, I could see him moving forward saying, hey, I'm going to pass up on these three-pointers because they're not falling, and I'm going to attack the rim. And I, we saw that last night. I mean, they left him open from beyond the arc, and he just wasn't taking him anymore. He's going to attack the rim. Um, and I think that's a good move for him. Yeah, I thought it was a good move. Seemed like good things are happening when he does that. When you look at the Knicks right now, Stefan, 11 and 10, their upcoming schedule through this month of December, they've got a bunch of road games. Some game, A lot of winnable games I see there, too, for them. Do you think this is a period of time where they can, you know, they can eat a little bit here? They can do some things, maybe make some moves up the standings. Uh, what do you what do you see when you look at the upcoming schedule for the next? So what what are you talking about? Well, like what? How many games are you looking forward to? Oh, uh, like, you know, so to to looking forward ahead, I was looking in the next like eight to ten games, that kind of that kind of range. I was looking, okay. at, looking at that. Ahead. Yeah, I mean, I so I I, I got to pull a schedule up in front of me. I don't have it, um, but I thought they had a tough schedule coming up. I thought you know th there's a stretch here that ends with uh, Golden State coming to the Garden. Where it's like, hey, they're playing some good play, some good teams. They got Chicago, Chicago, Den Denver uh, coming up at home soon. Tomorrow right? and Denver, Jokic is coming to the Garden. So, you know, the the East is tougher than it used to be, and um, I feel like there aren't many gimme games. And when you look at the Knicks, like they they lost twice to the Orlando Magic, right. uh, and that was at home. So. I don't think if you're the, you're the Knicks and you look at the schedule at all and say, hey, these are games we're going to win. Um, I mean, that's not where they are as an organization right now. So they have to look at every game like, hey, we're going to have to fight to win win each and every one of these. They struggled to, to beat Houston at home as well, and, you know, we know where they're at. Yeah, that is true. They haven't looked good at some of that. So when we look at the current state of this team, uh, Stefan, where they are, 11 and 10, you're in this part where you just got past the quarter mark of the season. Where do you think this team can go? Is there still a lot of uncertainty? Is there reason for optimism? with this team that they can securely be in the playoff positioning in the Eastern conference, or do you have a lot of concerns based on the five and one start, the recent play where they've been below 500? Where are you about the current state of the Knicks? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. And part of it is has nothing to do with them. It's just that the, the East is better. And, um, you know, you look at the top teams and, and, and you say, where do the Knicks fit into this um, category? And, and I think they fit at this point in terms of talent. They fit into the play-in scenario. Um, and, um, you know, part of it is just Julius Randle was such – I mean, he was second-team All-NBA last season. He was a bona fide star, and he hasn't been that. And that makes a big difference between become, being the fourth seed, which they were last season, and being in the play-in tournament. Um, R.J. Barrett hasn't made that giant leap that you were seeing at the very beginning of the season. He's kind of fallen back a little bit here. So that's going to be a key to what this team does this whole season is how he progresses. Uh, but at this point, with the way they're playing and the uncertainty of Julius Randle and the uncertainty of R.J. Barrett, and you don't know what you have from Evan Fournier on any, any given night. You know, I'm concerned. I, I don't see them. Um, duplicating what they did last season right now. If you don't, as not seeing that, last thing from me, Stefan, before I get you get you out of here, do you think that they will make a move? Do you think this is a front office that might say, hey, we look might want to make a move to try to upgrade this roster? And is there even a move out there for them to make? Yeah, well, you that's a good point. The second point um, is important because, you know, maybe Dame Lillard becomes available and maybe the Knicks – uh, get involved in that bidding war. But first of all, there's no guarantee that he'll be available and there's no guarantee they'll win that bidding war. Uh, maybe Carl Anthony Towns becomes available. Maybe he doesn't. Right now, if you're looking at the landscape of the NBA, there's not that huge free agent coming in the summer that you that's feasible to get. I mean, Zach Levine's going to be a free agent. James Harden's going to be a free agent. But, you know, I don't see them leaving their respective teams and you look at the trade market right now, as it's as it's currently situated. There's not that star player available. Um, so you know things change in the NBA. You know it's a few months before the trade deadline, and anything can happen. But if you look at the landscape right now, and you know people thought Bradley Beal was going to be available, but Washington is playing really well. So why would he leave there? Um, you know you just don't see that that difference maker being available right now in the trade market. Yeah, I, I don't see it either. We'll keep our eye on the current state of Knicks. I know you will. Stefan, thank you for joining me on the NBA Exchange. I'll definitely talk to you again later in the season. Hopefully uh, things get better for the Knicks. You get to watch some uh, better basketball, some above 500 basketball. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, there's a, the bar has been so low. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm happy that I'm covering an above 500 team right. <laughs> sure. because there's been years where they weren't. So the bar is higher and the expectations are higher, and that's a good thing. That is that is a good it's a good thing for all of us, especially yeah. someone like you who definitely covers the team. Steph, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on soon. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you, all right, brother. Take care. That's Stephen Bondi of the Daily News, New York Daily News. That is he covers the New York Knicks. Please give him a follow. Follow all great things with him covering the Knicks. We are going to take a very short break, and when we come back, Gerard Hector will be joining us for a new edition of NBA with Nuance when we come back on the NBA Exchange. We are all adjusting to this new climate together. We're doing things a little bit differently because the world is different since the last time we did a podcast. And we are still bringing you the podcast you love while living that quarantine life. Use deodorant every day or no? Yes. During the quarantine? Hell yeah! Still discussions of sports, music, and pop culture in a pod where it ain't hard to tell who keeps it real. Don't say that you don't see race. Whenever you say you don't see race, it just shows me how privileged you are in a situation that you don't ever have to think about race. No, look at the words I'm using. Perhaps, possibly, maybe. Is it the smartest thing? Probably not. Is it too soon? I would say so. I went through so many things being short and just people would always underestimate me and always tell me, like, you're not going to make it. You're not going to. I know. Bex, come on, son. We just talked about this. Whether you listen or watch, stay home, be safe, and subscribe to the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast on YouTube or your favorite audio streaming platforms today.
Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. All right, welcome back to the NBA Exchange. Told y'all, it's Wednesday. You know what time it is. That means NBA with nuance with my man, Gerard Hector. He joins us now of the Seven Footers Podcast. There is Gerard. Gerard, how you doing, man? How's everything going? Chilling, man. Can't complain. We had a good night of NBA basketball last night on the national uh, doubleheader. Two games that delivered. Yes, we did. I talked about that at the top. Uh, it's not many, and we gotta we gotta respect it because there's not that many nights you get this where we get these two great games that deliver prime time: the battle for New York, Suns Warriors, best two teams in the league, and boy, we got every mm-hmm. I don't know if everything we wanted, but we got most of what we got. Got a lot. Got a lot. We got a lot. We got a lot of stuff that was good. Well, let's start with that the the Suns. Yeah. Uh, with the Warriors, they dropped the Warriors for their 17 straight victory. Um, and I talked about this at the top, Gerard. Through this game, you and I, we were texting last night. The most impressive thing, because you can look at this game and say, hey, Devin Booker went out, right? They were able to execute with him offensively. And at one point, I texted you and I said, hey, I have a little bit of concern about how they're able to do it. And you're like, they'll be fine. They've got other pieces to be able to mm-hmm, execute this mm-hmm, done. But mm-hmm. I think the most impressive thing has to be the defense, right? Like, that mm-hmm. was the really impressive thing here, the defense, particularly the defense they played on Stephen Curry. The, the, the Suns really, you know, I texted this to you last night or in, in our group chat, I believe. I was like, look, man, the Suns put on a master class on how you defend the Warriors' action. Now, I realize that the, Sun also, the Suns also have the right personnel to do that, right? They have a ton of length on the perimeter and wing, right, which you need. But defense is also just about want to, right? Like, and they wanted to defend, like, so many teams switch nowadays. The Suns do some switching, but it isn't just like, oh, here comes the pick and roll. All right, man, go ahead, switch that. No, they switch with purpose, right? When DeAndre Ayton and when the, when the Warriors tried to get mismatches for Curry and get Mikael Bridges off of him, right? Because Mikael Bridges was really doing a good job locking him up and just bothering him with length, which by the way, for any NBA player, the most difficult thing to do on offense is score over length consistently. It's just hard. Right, even the best players in the world, when you get constantly put length in your face, it is hard to score over that. And so, when the Suns, when the Warriors tried to get Steph off, get Bridges off of Steph, and then Aiton was, it wasn't like some slow big who just "Eh, let me go out here and just try to contest whatever. He cut hard with angles to make sure, and he blocked a Steph three. I mean, he was out there. Like they, they did an excellent job, and it was again defensively. Uh, kudos to Monty Williams, his coaching staff, uh, just the, the whole squad and their commitment. Because, again, defense is about scheme and your angles on your switches and your positioning, but it's also about want to. Yeah, and they surely wanted to. They came out re- really focused. You talked about Bridges. I was very impressed with him on both sides of the ball. Also, we saw Aiton, who, you know, let, let's talk about Aiton. Because you texted me this and was last night. was like, look. Aiden definitely looks like a max player. And I said to you, look, I had not that you were saying this, but I had no doubt that he was before this based on what we had seen him do in the playoffs. You saw Chris Paul trying to go to him late. They would look hunt, they were looking for him, hunting the mismatches with him, and they got it. He struggled a little bit, missed a couple of bunnies, but he finished when it counted. DeAndre Aiden has been key for this team with his Huge. development, right? He, I mean, as much as we love the point guard on this show, you and I think he's one of the great point guards of his generation, obviously. Yeah. The Suns don't do anything last season without DeAndre Ayton. Nothing. As good as Chris Paul is, they're not going to the finals without DeAndre Ayton. Ayton is the key. He was the number one pick for a reason. Again, I've said this numerous times. I'm not saying he's better than Luka Doncic, but tell the Phoenix Suns they made, the, they made a mistake taking Ayton instead of Luka. They're going to be like, no, nah, we good. Right? Like, they know what they have in him. Hopefully, Robert Sarver will open up his cheap wallet and pay him. 
but that's a different story for a different day. He is excellent. Again, you mentioned it. What he did in the postseason proves he's a max guy. What he did yesterday proves he's a max guy. Because when they, when the Suns, when the Warriors go small, most teams that play a big have to get their big off the floor because it's yeah. a nightmare. They don't got to pull Aiton. He's fine staying out there. Oh, you want me to rotate out in the step? I'm cool. He's He can do it all. And that that's the prototypical big man you want in today's game. Rangy, who can switch out onto smaller, quicker guards and hold his own and not get roasted night after night, right? Like, and that is, and it also helps that the Suns have excellent perimeter defenders, again, and length with, starting with um, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron uh, Cameron Johnson off Johnson. the bench. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, they they have guys. And again, their system works. Chris Paul is a, I mean, Chris Paul is six foot on a good day. He don't care if he gets switched <laughs> onto a six foot eight guy. Like he just gets his strong body up underneath them and makes life a nightmare. And he's got quick hands. He knows where everybody is. Look, the Suns are an excellent team in proving that last year's moved run to the finals wasn't just because, oh, everybody got injured. Okay, yeah, because that's been some of the talk around them. But now they win this game. They beat the Warriors. We know they have them again on Friday night, uh, which will be a tall task because they'll be playing on a back-to-back. But when you look at this, the question that's going to come up is, are the Suns the best team in the NBA? You wax poetic about the Warriors last week and how much we liked them and where they were mm-hmm. in, you know, adjusted net rating on defense and mm-hmm. in terms of their mm-hmm. offensive standing. But when you look at this and this victory by the Suns, are the Suns the best team in the NBA and can they win an NBA championship? The Suns are right there, right? Like, I think it's between the Suns and the Warriors still, even though with that loss yesterday, right? It's one loss and everybody not lose their mind. Now, right. but, but it showed you some things that the Suns can do. Remember, I said this to you. Coming out of the West, I mean, the disaster that is Denver. I mean, they're cooked. They got, I mean, they got a mini COVID outbreak going on right now, right? So, and Michael Board Jr. out for the year. So that team is done. The Lakers, we don't got to talk about them. They're toast. The only team I thought in a series could really give the Warriors trouble because of their defense is the Phoenix Suns. And again, because of the fact that you don't have to take Aiton off the floor, that gives you rim protection. And, again, when the Warriors go small, as you mentioned earlier, they get to punish the Warriors inside with the size of Aiton. And it isn't. Here's where they're different than most teams. Charles Barkley said this last night on TNT. You got to go where you got to punish, uh, punish the Warriors for being small. But the way Charles was saying it was incorrect. Not every time down court, you just dump the ball into Aiton. Because as small as the Warriors are, DeAndre Aiton, um, excuse me, uh, Draymond Green is too smart to get one-on-one coverage and get, and get cooked every time. When the Suns do their ball movement, however, though, and it stretches the defense, and now, oh, crap, Curry switched out. You're done now, right? Now I got a six-foot-three dude on a seven-footer. That's barbecue chicken. Barbecue chicken every time. Okay. I'm intrigued to see how the Suns progress through this year because of because of what you said, because you talked about that narrative around them, Gerard, in terms of people being like, oh, well, you you just got there because things broke your way or the injuries last year. And I do think they're proving that they're actually a good team. I understand why people will have questions, but this is something we've seen from them from a prolonged period of time. Like there's more than a small sample size here for us to enjoy, like, and appreciate. They had a full season, postseason, and 20 games so far this year. I mean, that's not, to your point, that's not a small sample size. That is is valid evidence. And to your point about everybody saying, oh, things had to break right. Yo, things have to break right for every team to win a championship. Like, this this league is too good for you to just be like, I'm just whatever. I'm just going to beat people. Nah, you need luck. And look, it, it just is what it is, right? You deal with the situation as it comes. So, no, I don't think the, the, the Suns don't need to apologize for nothing. They're a good team. Look, for them, it's going to matter about health, right? We saw Booker got the soft tissue injury. Um, he had a long season, offseason, deep into the finals, and then got on a plane to Tokyo, played in the Olympics, right? They're going to have to monitor that, and Chris Paul is not a young man, right? So these are things they're going to have to monitor and figure out and find their spots for strategic rest because they got to think long-term, right? The goal is how do we get back to the NBA Finals in June? That is That is going to be the goal to them. All right. Let's shift east to a team that has title aspirations that many people pick to win the title, and that is the Brooklyn Nets. And I want to bring this up, people, because and, – and I'm going to frame this around something Gerard talked about in his podcast, the Seven Footers podcast, okay? Gerard made the point, and I talked about the stop of the show, that the Brooklyn Nets are no longer title contenders, all right? This is not a hot take. 
Okay, we don't do that here. This is no not what takes. we're doing. Nah. Gerard has uh, some nuance to this in, in what he's going to say. And I thought on this platform, you should also uh, talk about it too. So you talked about it with your co-host, Jenna Lemoncelli, our good friend, about why the Nets are no longer title contenders. And you have a lot of concerns about what you've seen, whether it's been injuries, the play of James Harden. Please talk about why you, as a person who were very high on the Nets, are no longer hiring them anymore. First, I want to give them credit. Defensively, that seems to be their identity now. Through 20 games, they are a top 11 defense in adjusted defensive rating. That's for a team that was 26th last year in adjusted defensive rating. That's pretty good, okay? But their struggle is this team was constructed to be an offensive juggernaut. When you have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving operating at the peak of their powers, that is a nightmare for any defense. I don't care if you're the most elite defense of all time. The friggin' 80 bad boy Pistons, who the Celtics, I don't care. Whoever you want to throw out there. When you have those three supernovas playing at peak level, you got problems because they are offensive, they're, they're, they're offensive systems unto themselves, the three of them. And that creates mismatches everywhere you look. Well, they only have, they don't have three of those guys operating at the peak of their powers. Vaccine mandates, Kyrie Irving's got his stance dug in. He's not there. James Harden. He played well last night against the Knicks, but that was his first good game in a long time, right? Since last season, this team was constructed for the three of them to be at their peak because what that did was that they are force multipliers. That means that the complementary pieces around them, your Blake Griffins, your Nick Claxton's, your Patty Mills, Joe Harris's, Bruce Brown's, these type of people, their game gets elevated because of how excellent those three are. Well, when those three are not excellent, it now puts more burden and stress on those other complementary pieces. And they right, and they're not as good. There's a reason why those guys aren't all NBA and all those things, right? You have one player playing at MVP level. That's Kevin Durant. Now, James Harden played like an MVP last night. If mm-hmm. he can play like that the rest of the season and KD continues to play his MVP level, then I will change my mind. But until that happens consistently, no, they're not good enough. And Steve Nash has said it. They, they've all said it. If you right now, they know it. They're not good enough. We saw what happens. They had the Suns on the second night of a back-to-back and lost at yeah. home. And that game wasn't even – wasn't it was close score at the end, but it wasn't really close. Warriors came in, blitzed them in the third quarter, yeah. waxed, right? I mean, so when you see them against the elite teams, it's like, ooh, you're not quite there. And, again, that is because your force – all three of your force multipliers aren't there playing well. And when you only have one, you can box in one KD, triangle in two him because you're like, these other four dudes, I ain't worried about them. Right. And that's that's the reality. So they're going to have to get Harden playing up to his level. If he does that, it releases some of the burden on KD. Right. Now you're talking. Now their margin will still be slimmer. Right. Because they don't have Kyrie. Because now if you add Pete Kyrie, well, then it's like, because what are you doing? You're not doubling right. anywhere. Three of them on the floor right. and you put Harris and another. What, what are you going to do? Right. Who are you helping off of? Nobody. Right. You got to right. just pray with one on one defense. Right. Yeah, we saw this at the end of the game last night where it's a tie ball game and KD has the ball in his hands. And what did the Knicks do? The Knicks rightfully did the right thing, which is what I would have done. Coaching. Sent a double. They, doubled, they sent a double, timed it right, obviously got the ball into James Johnson's hands, which is what you'd want. Unfortunately for the Knicks, Mitchell Robinson fouled, but it's what you'd want to do. And I think that speaks to the fact of what you said about them lacking that the dynamic offense that they once had because James Harden is not playing at such a high level right now, but if they can get Kyrie back, uh, which will be interesting to see, and Joe Harris is healthy, yeah, they could they could be that. Now, I mean, we, we saw that last year, Dexter, when they were all yes, that was the we did. that was the number one offense ever in the history of basketball, and they didn't even play all that many games together. Together, right? right? Like, they didn't even play that much together, <laughs> right? That's a that's a that's a great point, which shows you how scary they can be in the way they were designed to be. If if that occurs, but I'm glad you also brought up injuries, right? We or or players just not being there, or mm-hmm. the decline of players. So whether mm-hmm. it is Harden, whether it is Kyrie not being there, we look at teams. I think when they're constructed, and we say, okay, this team should win a championship in X amount of time. They should do this. Uh, they have this young core. This is where I kind of see this going, but. Sometimes the window, it appears to me, Gerard, that people are giving the the title, the championship window, I should say, for teams, might not be as long as some people may assume. And I think in this current NBA, things are changing. 
in terms of how we should look at those title windows. What do you say to that? Do you think it's changing? Is it the way things were before? Or title windows smaller, more narrow than they've ever been? I, I, it's a funny thing, right? I, I just don't think that title windows, the, the idea of having a window to a title is kind of a fallacy, right? Like there is no such thing as that, particularly now with the way the league is. Maybe in the 80s and 90s, sure, because there was less player movement, free agency and all that. Teams were what they were, right? Um, so you knew the Bulls are going to be good. You knew the 80s Celtics, Lakers, Pistons, whatever. Like Guys had title windows, sure, because this was your roster for five, six, seven, eight years. Now, you don't really have that. The other thing you're seeing, too, Dexter, is, is the reality that a championship, right, the actual holding the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the finals, that's a crapshoot, man. Regardless of what people want to think about it, it is a crapshoot, okay? You, who's healthy enough? Who's going to make it to the final four, right? The conference championships. Then from there, it's, hey, man, we'll see what happens. Look, we talk about young teams like the Atlanta Hawks. I was, I'm was, i high on them. A lot of people are high on them. We're like, they can win a title the next five years. Does that look like it anytime soon right now, given the injury history they're having? Uh, the Denver Nuggets with uh, reigning MVP Nikola Jokic. We're like, man, this team with like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and this person and that person, man, they got a nice little title window open. Do they? I mean, everybody's hurt. Everybody's hurt right now, and they got a mini COVID outbreak going on. Right. What title? What title window? If you think you are good enough to win a championship in a season, you go all in and get it that season because ain't no guarantees, no promise of tomorrow. The league is littered with that. We saw it with the Orlando Magic in the nineties, right? They go to the finals against the Rockets. We're like, ah, don't worry, they'll be back. Never went back again. Yeah. As a fra- oh, correction, I was gonna say as a franchise, they did go back with Dwight Howard many years later, but. You get my point. They've been inept, basically, as a franchise. Right. The Oklahoma City Thunder drafted Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. They go to the final in 2012. We're like, man, those 22-year-olds, they're going to be back yep. running the league for the yep. next eight years. <laughs> yep. Did they? <laughs> nope. Yeah, Every so season no. after that, first of all, they traded Harden that offseason, which, you know, Sam Presti's still mad at you for that. Then, <laughs> every year after that, they suffered some kind of injury, right? Somebody was hurt for some some portion of the year. Now, they made Western Conference Finals and did their thing uh, uh, quite a few times, but never were able to get back to the NBA Finals. Again, I say all that to say, this idea of a title window, sure, it makes sense if you have young talent and ascendant superstars like Nikola Jokic, like a Trey Young, like a this, like but, no, oh man, uh, there's no no promises tomorrow. Injuries, I mean, look at the, look at the Philadelphia 76ers. Yep. Got Joel Embiid in his prime, who's now hurt. Ben Simmons situation. I mean, this is the number one seed in the East last year. Anybody think they're getting back there now? The Bucks, as good as they are, sure. I mean, they won it last year. They could go back this year, but there's no guarantee there. They got Brooke Lopez injury they're dealing with right now. It's just so many things change throughout the course of an NBA season. Not just player movement, injuries, whatever. Things just happen. Emergence of other teams that... The idea of a window is kind of a fallacy, right? You do the best you can to feel the best possible product every season, and you hope you are good enough to be around come the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, that's all That's all you can hope for. Things change so quickly now in the league. I love that you had brought up Denver because I think they're sort of the poster child for this. It's like, oh, things are going great. We got an MVP candidate last year, Jamal Murray injury, now Michael Porter Jr. And it's like, what's the window? There's not even a guarantee that Jokic resigns there. Right now, with some of those you, injuries. You see what I'm saying? This is, that's, that, how quick, that's the yep. thing. That's how quick these things can change. They can change really quickly. Okay. Good NBA with nuance. We're going to get into some NBA picks mm. to, for, for tonight. I thought tonight. Now, tonight's not as exciting as last night. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just not. We, we do not have the excitement of last night. I know Gerard and I were like, look, we are sitting down. We are watching both of these TNT games. You know, we watched the other games last night. We're flicking around through that. This is how we do. But tonight doesn't have that same kind of juice. We, nah. we understand. That. But there's some there's some games to pick. There's some things we can uh we, we can look at do, doing. All right, Gerard, your first game for tonight uh involves those champion Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, the Charlotte Hornets at the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are at eight and a half point favorites. Um, they're on quite a, a little bit of a roll right now. They are home favorites, and they're three and six in their last nine games as home favorites. And the Charlotte Hornets are three and seven as away underdogs. So hmm. everything is pointing towards the Milwaukee Bucks. But you know what I'm gonna do here, Dex? 
because I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm I'm like I'm feeling a little risky. I'm feeling a little. Oh, I'm gonna say the Hornets actually keep this game closer. So I'm gonna take the points with the Hornets. Say they keep it closer. See now, if I had any real guts, I'd go money line and bet them outright. But you ain't got you ain't got you're not feeling <laughs> them like that. <laughs> as, as much as as much as I love Lamelo Ball, who is like he's so excellent. Love and. Yo, shout out to Miles Bridges, man. This guy is balling out here. Yeah, like, man, he is. They're playing well. I just, you know, the, the Bucks are 7-0 since everybody's been back healthy. So, I, you know, when they're kind of getting, they're getting, they're getting, they're feeling good at the right time. So, but I think Charlotte can keep it close. And they got that bad taste in their mouth after that Bulls loss on Monday. So, I'm taking the points with the Hornets. No, I like that. I like that. That I, I, I think. I would too not be as uh, gully to <laughs> bet on the Hornets there, but I do like them to play well in the, in this contest. But I think the Bucks are rolling, and I think they're ready to start making a statement to move up the Eastern Conference. So okay, so you're taking the Hornets with the points there. Okay, my first game of the night got the Hawks versus the Pacers. Hawks on the road. Now here's my thing, Gerard. Okay, we talk about this all the time. On this show, we talk about the importance of rest and recovery, right? And how much that makes for better play overall. You know what's happening here, folks? The Hawks haven't played since Saturday when they mm-hmm. lost to the Knicks. The Hawks have been dealing with some injuries. They're banged up. Cam Reddish has been banged up. We know Bogdanovich is out for a couple of weeks. But this gives, you know, the guys time to practice, to rest, to play with certain new rotations and lineups. And Indiana, they've been, you know, Indiana. Yeah, they've struggled. <laughs> they, they've been struggling. They've been struggling. And the Hawks are later, they've been playing better of late. They did lose to the Knicks in a game I thought the Knicks played fan- very well defensively. But the Hawks here, they are road underdogs. It's really a pick them, you know, plus one and a half. Nothing that crazy there. But I like the Hawks here. Give me, give me the Hawks here. I like them. I think they win pretty easily because I think they're the more rested team. I think they're the more prepared team here. And so, I could bet this, you know, for them to, you know, with the points and plus one and a half, but I was looking for some more value. I'm looking for some more value. Mm-hmm. So I looked throughout some odds on BetMGM and they've got the Hawks winning anywhere from six to 10 points. You can get plus 425. You actually can get the same odds if you think they will win anywhere between one and five points. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the six to 10. I think the Hawks win this pretty easily. Uh, going going away somewhere between six to ten points. Give me that plus four twenty five with the Hawks there to win on the road. They're well rested. I'm trusting the rested legs here. Give me that. I like that, man. That's you know you 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 you're right on that. That's a, that's a solid pick. I'm, I'm yeah. with you there. I got, I got no well. beat there. I mean, you know, the thing about it is the mm-hmm. the the, uh, the Pacers they they're fighting right. Like you could see it, but. They just, they don't. They just don't have it, right? They don't have it, man. They just yeah. don't got it, man. They just don't have it. I'm just not, I just, I just don't see it. I, you know, one of the things about that, it's just a quick aside on them as a team. It's like, I think a lot of people were like, okay, hey, Carlisle's going to come in and this is going to change about it. But it's like, no, but they got the same roster. And I yeah. respect Carlisle as a coach, but I think that roster needs so many changes and I just don't believe in the Pacers. Sorry, yeah, man. It's, nah, nah. You ain't, you ain't wrong on that, man. You're not wrong. All right. Your, uh, sec- your second game of the night. Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued here because uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, I don't know which of these teams you really want to bet on, but uh, we'll see. Here they go, people. I, I'm, I'm going to La La Land. It's the Sacramento Kings at the LA Clippers. Clippers, seven and a half point favorites. You know, the, the Kings got beat by the Lakers last night without LeBron James, who was in health and safety protocols, which, you know, anybody want to talk about that? Um, so, you know, I, look, the Kings, we know they fired Luke Walton, Alvin Gentry is the interim coach. As a franchise, I'm not really sure what they are. Like, they should be better. They got a ton of people out. Uh, Barnes is out. Like, they, I just, I, I think the Clippers are going to win this game. But I'm looking at the same thing you did by victory margin. I'm looking for value. Now, you get plus 475, the Clippers win by 11 to 15 points. And I was like, I was tempted, but I'm like, you know, man, I don't know. That's a and lot. That's a lot of points. Second, lot out of points. A, second out of a back-to-back, right. I was like, man, they should. I was like, but they're kind of young. And the Clippers, despite losing to the Warriors on Sunday afternoon, they played pretty well that game. It they wasn't did. really until the ref didn't call that foul on Curry and he went nuclear and demolished the Clippers. I was like, they were, they were hanging right. They were hanging with them. And that's why I said earlier that was a team that I thought 
playoff wise, I like against the against the Warriors because when the Warriors go small, they can match up and play defense. The Kings nowhere near that level of offense as the Warriors. I'm going to Clippers by six to ten points plus three twenty five. Take that to the bank. Guarantee. Six to ten for plus three twenty five. Look, this that's good values. When I don't like these lines, or I you know say I think some's too many points, I look for those. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great way to get value. Okay, plus three twenty five there. You you did me right there, Gerard. I <laughs> thought you would not bet on the Kings. I, I haven't I haven't had a reason to really believe believe in Hell the Kings. No. I think last week I bet on the Kings <laughs> in one of my picks, and they let me down. So, the Kings, I think the, the Kings yeah, do what they I, do. They're, they're I not don't great. know. I don't know why I did this. Okay, now this my next uh, the te- the game I'm looking at. This you know one team that's been struggling, another team that started off the season not that great, but now they're starting to play a little bit better, and that is the Dallas Mavericks loses a five out of six games, and New Orleans Pelicans who have won three out of their last four games, and Zion Williamson is supposedly on the way. Now, allegedly, 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 but we never know with like any of the injury stuff coming out of New Orleans, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. Number one. Guess who got hurt again? Oh man, Chris, Chris Dabbs Dabbs. Damn man, how, how long? How long is he out for? That hasn't been determined. He's actually listed as questionable for tonight's game, uh, but I don't see it happening. It was an ankle injury. He I think they'll probably be cautious. Too. He was. He was balling out. Kind of looked like he did the previous season in the bubble. Look where he was balling too before he got hurt. So this is my concern with betting on this game, right? Also, Dallas hasn't looked good. Right? I talked about losing five out of six. They just lost to Cleveland, one fourteen and ninety six at home, and that score Cleveland's was not good. As, Cleveland's good. Cleveland's good, good yeah. and that score was not as close as it suggested. They were down by as many as thirty one in that game. They were getting waxed. Okay. What I will bank on, and I know some people will roll their eyes and get disgusted. I'll bank a little on the magic of Luca here. <laughs> I think he wills this team. They've been struggling. They figure out a way to get it done. Uh, against this New Orleans team. New Orleans doesn't really have much outside of Brandon Ingram. They have played better of late. Willie Green has seemed to have the troops inspired. I like that. Um, I'm going to take the Mavericks because the Lions only, they're favored by two and a half. Mm-hmm. I think they figure out, I don't see them smacking the Pelicans, but could they win this <laughs> game by six to seven points? Yeah. I'm also not super confident in it. So just give me them to, to just cover here. Okay. Minus two and a half. I like the Mavericks. I feel better if KP was playing, but give me the Mavericks to cover here against the Pelicans. All right. So to recap, we got you taking the Hornets, mm-hmm. taking the okay? points. Yep, mm-hmm. and taking the points with the Hornets. All right. So that's really you. You didn't have the, the guts. So <laughs> to take, the, the, take guts. the money line. Nah, I was to like take uh... the money line. But you took the. You're taking the Hornets uh, with the points against the Bucks. I'm taking the Hawks. To win by six to ten points against the Pacers plus four twenty-five. Gerard is taking the Clippers. What was that? Plus three twenty-five mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to win by six to ten points. Yep. Uh against the Kings, or Kangs, as we said. <laughs> and I'm taking the Mavericks to cover minus two and a half against the Pelicans. So we'll see. We'll That's see what it. happens. That's it for your NBA Wednesday bets. Who do you like before we get out of here? Who do you like in that rematch between the Suns and the Warriors. Because if we look ahead to that, that's going to be something I'll probably talk about on Friday. Would you want to take the Suns again, or do you think the Warriors are primed for an upset? I, I think the Warriors are probably primed for a beatdown because second half of back-to-back, even though it's Detroit and the, the first game is at home, right? So the, the Suns play Detroit at home, then travel yep. up the up the coast to to uh, San Francisco. I just, you know, I think they're going to start feeling the loss of Devin Booker a little bit. Um, and, you know, look, winning... 20 games in a row is hard. Like, there's a reason why, like, anytime a team is on a kind of streak, he makes a big deal out of it because it's fucking hard to do that. This league is right. this league is too hard to win that many games in a row. Like, it just is. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors, uh, you know, kind of do a double-digit win on, on at home. But that won't change my feeling about the Suns, right? Like, we look at that and say, yeah, it's a schedule thing. Other thing, other thing of note that I mentioned at the top of the show, those teams play again for the third time on Christmas. So they'll play like three times in, what is yeah. that, three weeks or so? Yeah, that's they, great. They will have played, so it'll be interesting. And if the game is anywhere as good as it is last night, we will mm-hmm. be excited. We surely mm-hmm. will be watching. All right, that's it for this edition of the NBA Exchange. Thanks to uh, my guest earlier from New York Daily News, Stefan Bondi, talking about the Knicks. Obviously, Gerard Hector. 
Rocking your NBA with nuance. You see what we did here today, folks? Yeah, man. There was no hot takes. Nah. There was none of that. We gave you nuance. Some of y'all thought Gerard was going to come on here and talk all crazy <laughs> about the Nets. And, you know, some people are going to see the headline. And be like, What's he talking about? Listen. You can listen with the nuance. It no can, hot takes, it man. Y'all, y'all know where to find hot takes. You know, I'm not even going to name the shows, but y'all know who them clowns are that do that. We don't do that here. Nah, man. None of that here. Real, real nuance conversation. As usual, follow the NBA Exchange at the NBA Exchange. Continue to support us. Go check out Gerard's work, Seven Footers Podcast. Great episode this week. They talked about the Brooklyn Nets. They talked about the Denver Nuggets. They also mm. talked a little bit about why Jenna is disappointed in the Los Angeles Lakers and might be crying <laughs> because LeBron James is out for a while. So please check that out. Also check me out on the Ain't Hard Style Podcast. And continue to support us on Patreon. And you can listen to this podcast, this show, on all streaming platforms as well. So for Gerard Hector, I'm Dexter Henry. You know, next time we'll be back on the NBA Exchange. That'll be Friday. Until then, peace, y'all.